You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen, to talk about travel. Yes. And we are joined by the great Monique Mini Pizza. How are you going? Hello, I'm great. How are you? Very good. Very good. So today we're talking travel. Yes, we're going to talk about planning your big adventure, whether that's interstate, whether it's just next door to your house, whether it is going to London or Vietnam or New York. We're going to talk about how to plan for it, save for it, enjoy it. And we're also going to share some example trips. Well, mine's loosely based on reality. So is mine. Yep. Some example trips and some costings for that. So I'm going to London. Monique's going to... Japan. And I'm the budget going to Port Douglas, which is still pretty nice. Yeah. So we've uh, researched a bit of the costs involved. So we're going to run through that there and how we think about planning and budgeting for a trip and uh, what happens when you go over budget, which uh, I definitely did recently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I had a budget though. Yeah. Ain't nothing like a vacation. I can tell you what. So there is some interesting study just quickly before we get into some of this, how to kind of get through the holiday planning and research process. There's some really weird weird and kind of curious statistics out there, but they reckon that 16% of Aussies reach their credit card limit during a holiday. And most of the people that do that, or at least the biggest proportion of people who are 25 to 34. There you go. And I mean, I don't know the sample size of this, but a lot of folks, this is from Experian, a lot of folks take between two months and five years to pay off a credit card. 
women are more likely to use a credit card on a holiday, but pay it off quicker than men. It's quite a big range. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very big range. That's, we're trying to find the average. We don't know what the average is. So, I mean, take that with a pinch of salt. But I think it's what we're trying to say is a lot of Aussies do use credit to pay for holidays. Okay. And this is where this episode come from, right? Yes. And I always get a bit disappointed when I see banks and other providers advertising credit cards and personal loans to young people. You can tell by the people they have, the activities they're doing in the ads. They're targeting people under 30 and saying, your friends are overseas, so should you be. Get a credit card, get a personal loan and go over straight away. You can worry about paying it off later. And uh, if you take a long time to pay it off, the bank loves that. Yeah. It's one of those things like where we talk about good debt, bad debt. When you have a, a good debt, it might be like a mortgage because it's you're buying something that goes up in value. Whereas if you go and buy a TV, it immediately falls or a car is even worse. It falls in value. Some people might argue that spending money on a holiday is actually a good investment. I could see how people would make that. But the reality is you don't need to have debt to do that. As long as you've got a sensible budget, you plan enough in advance, you should be okay. And there are thrifty ways to save, which is what we're going to highlight today. Yeah. And I think that's why we wanted to talk about it now, because that gives you 10 to 12 months to plan. If you are going on a big international holiday, maybe in December or January, you've got time to set a plan, set a vision and actually start saving and putting money aside for that rather than last minute decision. And some of that research we looked at when we did the buying happiness episode said that if you actually save up and you anticipate that holiday and you put all the steps into looking forward to it in advance, instead of making a split second decision to just go off to Fiji tomorrow, you enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. With your European holiday, Kate, you actually, you had years to plan for this because it was a like COVID hit and then you couldn't do it. And then you still had it on like to-do list. Yeah, I started, I think I decided at the start of 2018 that I wanted to go. And so I was- Some of our listeners wouldn't have even been born then. <laughs> That's optimistic, <laughs> Owen. But, um, yeah, I started saving and planning and researching for about two years because I was planning to go in 2020. So I wanted to line it up with taking time off work, finishing my degree. And I knew I wanted to go for five months, which now looking back, I probably, I don't know if I would have coped for five months. It might've been too long, but at the time I was like, I want to have the big trip. I want to save up. So I wanted to save up. I think it was about $20,000. I was trying to save up over two years and I was very sort of systematic in putting money aside every month, like crossing it off, having the vision board, researching in the meantime to keep me enthusiastic about, because saving for two years for this big trip, it's a long time, it feels like when you're in it. And so I was using the research and learning about the places I wanted to go and sort of constructing my itinerary to keep me motivated while saving. We talk about that a lot on the show, how like the research is actually, and the, the kind of thinking forward is actually probably just as rewarding as some of the experiences that you have. Monique, you went to Europe, but for a bit shorter, you went for three weeks. How long ahead did you plan for that? Because you've been a few times now. Yeah, I've been a few times, so I kind of knew how much money I needed and all that. Probably a couple months. But I was also just going to say, like, I think throughout my entire life so far, I've used traveling as a good excuse to save. So it's not as if this week I'm going to put $100 away for this pair of shoes. It's always I'm thinking of a future trip. I may not know what that trip is, but when the time comes or like, you know how LA used to have those sales that are $1,000 return and it'd be for like a week. And so I'd have that money <laughs> for that as soon as those sales happened. So I've always, that's like a saving tactic that I've always kind of used like, oh, I'm going to go to a, on a 
some kind of trip one day. Yeah. So have it and when like have it even if you don't need it. Kind yeah. Of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Prepare. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah, and I think like if if you know you like travel and you like those adventures overseas, you you are thinking on a regular basis. Am I putting money aside for that? Even if I don't know which country I'm going to next. I'm ready for anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just actually makes a lot of sense. If you just put the plant the seed in your mind, then you're ready for these opportunities. Because I think that's one of the things that we'll discover just quickly looking through some of our notes for today and our trips that we've planned here. I can see that if you take your time, you're going to save a lot of money. That's probably the key thing. If you're rushing it, which to be honest, I do a lot, but if you're going to rush it, you're going to end up paying full freight on everything. Yeah, and there's a really different budget. If you're going to Dalesford for a, just a weekend, it might be $500. That's a town in Victoria, by the way. Yes, yep. yeah. <laughs> a nice little vacation <laughs> town in Victoria. But if you're going to Europe, that's going to be quite a bit more expensive just in flights alone. You're going to be at least $2,000. So yeah. unless you find an amazing deal, Monique. <laughs> I love a deal. Yeah, okay. So just some, maybe Kate, can you just give us some like, if you're planning for a holiday, can you just give us kind of like the one-on-ones, the things you need to consider? Like, are there any things like that you would say to people? It's advice for planning for a holiday right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's the Monique way where you just have a plan to go traveling. The, the Monique way. It's a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Copywriter>. Yes. <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> but then there was like my way where I was thinking something very specific. And so I was able to go, okay, I think I need this much money. So doing some sort of estimation of what kind of amount you'll need for that trip. And we'll run through some of those things later when we go through our examples, but going, what does food cost in that country? What's my average food cost going to be per day? Accommodation, even those big ticket things like accommodation, flights, you're going to be paying for travel insurance. So just giving an estimation of each of those items. And so you can kind of come up with an approximate budget and don't forget spending money in there because if you don't put that into your budget, it will probably blow out. Well, that's, it sounds like that that's one of the most common ways that people go and get a credit card like Max is through that bit of their budget. Yeah. The spending money is where they just blow out and on shopping. Yeah. So once you've got an estimated amount and like grand designs, you're always going to go over. So add a bit bit extra. So maybe it's instead of 5000 you want to save up 6000 yeah. 6000 something like that. Just to be safe. Like if you don't spend all that money, great. You've Happy got days. More money to put towards other savings or investing goals. The next trip. Yes, the next trip. You can push it forward to the next trip. (laughs) And then I think finding room in your budget. We've talked about budgeting a bit in our summer series this year, but actually finding, okay, are my expenses less than my income? All right, so there is a bit of money I can put towards travel on a monthly or fortnightly basis when I get paid because money has to come from somewhere. Or maybe if there's not much wiggle room, you take on a side hustle or a bit of extra work because you have that specific goal of a holiday in mind. And then being very directional with that money, just like when we talk about emergency funds, setting up a separate bank account, if you can label it with European Adventure 2023 or add an emoji, make it as personalized as possible. And then automating that payment if you can. So when you get paid every month, $200, $300, $500 automatically gets transferred from the money your paycheck gets sent into, into your travel account. So it can happen in the background without you thinking about it. And if some people like printing off like a savings chart and like coloring in or crossing off as they go towards each target, I mean, that worked for me. I I wrote the numbers one to 20 and just crossed off each one 
as the months went by, as I put a bit more in my travel fund. So that was quite motivating to me. That's cool. I like that. Just like on the back of your toilet door, kind of like just like scrubbing that off. Yeah. Did you use any sort of automations when you were saving? No, not automations. I think it was just kind of subconsciously putting money aside for that imaginary trip. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a separate bank account for holidays or? No, I keep it all in one thing. How many bank accounts do you have? Just one. I'm very simple and I just, it's one pool of money and everything is there. <laughs> I'm just going to freak out. Is that linked to your debit card? No. Okay, no. cool. I was going to say, if someone gets in there, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't keep like a bajillion dollars on like a card. That's ridiculous. <laughs> You have a bajillion dollars. I do now. That's a lot of money. Tell us that. (laughs) No wonder she's never Coffee is on (laughs) Monique. Okay. Um, But yeah, even I've figured out how to set up multiple offsets connected to my variable account for my home loan. And I've actually labeled them with different things because they're all connected. They all, instead of just having it in one pot, it helps. Like I personally did one pot for six months last year and it didn't work. I just... Mentally, I couldn't cope with it. So now I'm going back to multiple pots of labelled accounts so I can save up for different purposes. Yeah. There's something about it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I like that. Okay. So we've got a couple others here, which is like, yeah, start planning your trip early because then you can book early. Yes. I booked a lot of things very late and I paid a surcharge for that. What were the things that you booked late? Uh, Probably flights. Flights, yeah, right. Yeah, how late did you leave it? Like, do you remember, like roughly? Was it like months, like a week? Four months out. In 2022, yeah. numbers were crazy. Yeah, I booked trains day before. That was very expensive because I spoke to a lot of other people and they'd booked, especially in Europe where train prices aren't standard. They change and depending on what time of the day, which company. So um, a few things that I spoke to other people at hostels, they'd booked months, their trains months in advance. I didn't think about it. In Australia, you don't, I don't know. I hadn't really conceptualized the fact that you would book a train months in advance, but they had significantly cheaper train fares than I was paying. And even hotels, if you're already starting to plan the trip and you're saving the money early, if there's things like the Black Friday sales pop up because they were happening in other countries as well, you could use that as an opportunity to book accommodation or things like that. Whereas me booking a lot of the accommodation last minute. One thing I was able to take advantage, like I was able to buy the London Pass, which was sort of 10 days unlimited access to most attractions in London. And I got that at quite a big discount because I bought it on the Black Friday sales. And so that was like four days. It was on sale for about four days. And so I already knew I wanted that. I'd already started saving the money. And so I could take advantage of that. How much is a Eurostar? I was just Googling this. It looks like it's super expensive. I paid $500 for a train between Paris and London. Is that just one way? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. $500? (laughs) Isn't that like less than an hour flight? It was a two-hour train. What the heck? They gave me a full meal and rosé, but it was like the only option in the middle of the day, and I booked the day before. Because I remember I looked at that probably a month before, and yep. I think the train was about 200-ish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think because it was last minute, there weren't many f- seats left, and maybe I ended up in the expensive seat. Yeah. But, well, you got the rosé. That's beautiful. I had to get on the train, you know, had to move on, and I didn't want to catch another flight. So I learned that lesson because everyone else said they paid significantly less than $500. I was a bit shocked because in my mind, trains wouldn't cost much. Yeah. That's okay. Now you know. Insurance often... You already know your 
if you know your dates for your trip and sort of semi-concrete, often insurers will have sales from time to time. I think I was able to get 10% off mine when I booked it. So if you've got the dates, you know what you need. You can actually book insurance earlier and potentially save some money or at least have time to compare different options. You can fly. I'm just still stuck on this. I'm five minutes behind you guys. You can fly with (laughs) EasyJet or like Muling, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. from London to Paris for a hundred bucks. But EasyJet, they have like 17 stopovers with their ridiculous flight paths. That's what I discovered. It's gone like via downtown London. It takes like <laughs> back to Manchester uh, it's across. Ridiculous. I was committed to the idea of going underwater on the train. Cool. That is really cool. I've always looked at that and thought, Jesus. Anyway, cool. but anyway. I would suggest booking that early. But I think there is benefit if you plan the trip early enough and you're saving early enough, you can make take advantage of sales and discounts. So yeah, on insurance, yes or no? Did you use insurance in? Yep. Okay. So you got insurance, I should say. You didn't use it. Yes, I got. No. Didn't use it. No, nothing happened. But I got it just for a peace of mind. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think those bigger trips, it's really important. It's not that much anyway. To know, but it's also that. important to know what you got cover for. Like it's really important. Some of them are pretty crap. It's really it can seem overwhelming, but just know. Like the big ones. The example I always use is snowboarding. For example, travel insurance may cover you for when you're going down the the runs. But if the moment you go outside of the runs where it's groomed, not covered, which makes sense. Or if you're on a motorbike, you might be covered if you're licensed. But the moment you have like one sniff of alcohol in your system, not covered. So it's like just really important to know what you are and aren't covered for. But also I think we like may have talked about this once before. In some countries, particularly in Europe, uh, Australians have reciprocal rights to medical cover. So like, for example, in Italy, I believe, I could be mistaken, so do not hold me to this, but um, I'm pretty sure there are certain reciprocal rights between Italians coming to Australia, Australians going to Italy, and the certain cover you get, as well as like the NHS in the UK. So look into that as well, just for that peace of mind, to know what you are and aren't covered for. I did not get it for my trip to Port Douglas recently. But that's within Australia. Yeah, so you've got all the medical stuff, all the major stuff. You're still covered under Medicare and your own private health insurance. Interestingly, though, it's important to understand that ambulance cover is only via each state. So you've got to make sure that your ambulance cover, say if you're a Victorian going to Queensland, New South Wales, is that like a thing? You're from New South Wales, let's say that. Then you're going to Perth. What are the rights? Do you have any reciprocal cover? Maybe that's important to you. Maybe it's not. Just have a look, basically, is what I mean to say. A lot of people use getting a credit card, like they use the insurance as an excuse. So they're like, oh, I'm going to get a credit card because it comes with the insurance. Like they get very limited travel insurance with the credit card. And there's usually fine print that you have to have booked the flights and the costs for the activity on that credit card to make take advantage of the credit card health insurance, uh, travel insurance. There are so many things to that. But also don't get a credit card to get insurance. Like seriously, it's just like, don't, just buy it yourself. Don't use that as an excuse. If you're already using a credit card, then maybe it's okay for you. But for most people listening to this, you don't need to get a credit card just to get insurance. So I see people do that. Well. Yes. And also if you're going to a, a do not travel location that the government's specified that, you might not be covered. Your yeah. travel insurance just might be void. Yeah. Chances are there's like nothing. Interestingly, with some of the, when you book your airfares, just study some of the airfares. Like here in Australia, you'll be familiar with this if you book with Virgin a lot. There are different, like you can go on the same fare economy, but there'll be like different prices and they might be like $50 different. Depending on which one you get will depend on whether you can change your flights, whether cancellation is like rebooked or not. So like have a look at that 
And that might be a really easy way for you to get that peace of mind that even if my flight's cancelled, can I get another one or something like that? Because some of them aren't included. So Yeah, that was an interesting decision I had to weigh up because I was paying slightly extra when I booked accommodation to have the refundable accommodation where I could cancel up to 24 hours beforehand because I just didn't know plans might change. I might decide to stay somewhere longer. If I got sick or if I got COVID, I wouldn't be able to just keep traveling. And so I paid maybe 5 to $10 extra with my accommodation per night and I paid a bit extra for plane fares so I could refund it or change it, which wow. added probably a few extra $100 in total to the trip, but it gave me a bit more peace of mind. Sometimes, sometimes, massive asterisks here, if you book through one of those third-party websites, you can get covered through them, not through like the airline or through like whatever, but just check, obviously. Like booking.com used to be a big proponent of like, well, if something gets cancelled or something changes, you can do it through us, which is probably a benefit for using a third-party website. But obviously the catch is oftentimes you pay a bit more. So just be aware of that. Kate, can you just give us, for those people that don't know, don't listen to the show regularly, you recently went to Europe, your phone carked it, which is Australian for broke, and literally everything was on that phone from payments to everything. Now that you have had this experience in Europe, what's your strategy? How do you get around that? How do you make sure you've got peace of mind now? Yes, I definitely went over not expecting my phone to break and just assuming everything would be fine. Luckily, I had an iPad, but now after going through this experience, I think I would take a backup old phone, whether I can just buy one on Gumtree for $100. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to have a great battery. It just has to work. I think I would take a backup phone because I met a few people at hostels and they they were taking a backup phone just at the bottom of their bag. In case anything happened, they could use it, get their provider like Telstra in Australia to set up an eSIM. And so they could still connect and be able to get all those SMS texts because that is the problem I ran into. It wasn't, I could still get Wi-Fi at hostels or McDonald's or whatever, but I couldn't get the SMS codes to log into bank accounts and to log into, even Amazon had an SMS code. I was locked out of Audible. And some support teams wouldn't let you access via any other way. They said, no, there's no other options. You'll have to change your mobile to someone else. In Australia, we'll send them a code and then you have to do a whole recovery process, but it's not as easy as you think. And so I was locked out of some things until I got back to Australia. So I'm just thinking, I think next time I will take a backup phone, especially because I was traveling by myself. It'd probably be different if you're traveling with a partner or a friend. So you've got someone else who could help you. But if you're traveling by yourself, I was able to like access and do things like maps on my iPad. And that was probably the other thing, having a bank account that you could access via another device, because one of my banks was app only. And so it doesn't have a desktop login. Wait, can I ask which that is? Which bank is that? Is that Macquarie up. or up? Up of oh, of course, makes yep. sense. Yeah, yeah. So you can it only you can only access it via app. It's not I can't just Google the address and log in. Which so I was still able to get into ING, Commonwealth Bank, Macquarie, all of that from overseas because I'd told them previously I was traveling, so it didn't look like a suspicious login, and I was able to transfer money around. So I was okay because I couldn't actually access my up account. Good point you bring up there. A lot of people probably don't know this, particularly if you're a younger listener and you are traveling overseas. You will need to tell your bank that you will be using your card overseas. So sometimes like with NAB, you can do that in the app. You just say, I'm going here, here and here. And then you set the time that your holiday is and they know not to block you. 
I'm sure that, that some of them you'd have to call or some yeah. randomness. Yeah. And I'd also suggest at least, you probably know your passport, writing down your client number or your login details somehow on a piece of paper, because if you lose your device and if I didn't have an iPad, I had absolutely no idea what my 10 digit client number was for my different bank accounts. So if I had lost my phone, I had no other device. I, I don't think I would have known how to access my money. Mm. So I would have had to contact family members and it would have been a bit of disappointing <laughs> part of the trip because it definitely would have um, caused a bit of anxiety there. Yeah. So having your login details, even things like your travel insurance, if you can print out the certificate of insurance, they usually have a one pager when you buy travel insurance and that'll have your policy number. It'll have the out of Australia contact number that's available 24-7. So at least if something goes wrong, like if you get in an accident, your phone might break, at least you've got those details there and um, even having some contact details on you so someone knows who to ring. Like there's a lot of things I thought through and I'm like, oh, as a solo traveler, I probably should have thought about some of this stuff. Like I would have been pretty stuffed if I was in London. So it's pretty accessible. Like it's quite easy to get to an embassy if I'd lost a passport or something. And hopefully I would have been able to get help. But if I was anywhere else by myself and I didn't have the iPad, I, I would have been in hot water, I reckon. Yeah. Have you guys, that's all such good advice. Have you guys used uh, any of the apps, the map apps, which you can use offline? I do like through like Google Maps and then use you can the download. Offline. Yeah. 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 I do that sometimes. That's pretty cool. So if you are listening to this, you can download, sometimes it will prompt you to download an area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can even do that with your home city so that you don't have to constantly use the internet and burn yeah, through your GPS. Yeah. I went to Hillsville on the weekend and I was like, oh, your connection might be patchy. Do you want to download your way? Mm-hmm. So it's offline. Yeah, cool. So I actually did that on the weekend. Yeah, nice. Monique went to Pat Echidnas. So I that's did. why she yeah. brings that up. Time of my I life. Think having- yeah, that's quite a good good idea. So you've got some sort of backup because I was having to get the iPad out and connect to Wi-Fi. Yeah. One spot, direct me to the next spot, then find Wi-Fi. And and even having multiple cards to your account. So if you can, if you have some of your travel money in three different accounts, I see the benefit in spreading it around just in case you lose access to one account, having cards to access each of those accounts and even having some backup cash in the right currency going over with it. That gave me a bit of peace of mind. So when I was trying to sort everything out and just trying to move some money around, I knew I had a bit of cash if anything happened. Yeah, it's really good. And it's also good to have different amounts of cash on you. But yeah, one thing to be mindful of is that if you do have a lot of cash, particularly if you go into a country where our currency is very strong, just remember you could be walking around with someone's yearly salary in your pocket. So it's different to when you're here and you've got 500 Australian dollars. Everyone's like, oh, they got some money cool. But if you've got that amount of money and you're in a third world country, just be realistic about what, how you go about carrying that and showing it. Even in countries like France, for example, where pitpocketing or Spain, where that's very common, just be really sensible about where certain things are in your body, how hard it is for people to get their hands in, even if you're in an elevator or in a train station, in a crowded train or whatever. Just be really mindful of that and have those redundancies that Kate's talking about. Yeah. I've met a lot of people who are using those sort of yeah, the pouch things that go, yeah. Yeah, they go around your hip yeah. or whatever. They can put it like around your neck as yeah, well. Yeah, it goes around your neck. And then, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, then they can't get their hand in. Exactly. Because they're so sneaky. They're How so they get sneaky. Their hand in there? Yeah. And I also saw a few people with backpacks that did up the other way around. So instead of on the, yeah. they did up near your neck yeah. instead yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. So people the, can't just like yeah. zip yeah, well. up the back when they're walking behind you. Yeah, yeah. and having your phone poking out your back. Yeah. Pocket, not good. <laughs> yeah, that's something I have to consciously not do in Europe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you might get away with it in Australia. But yeah. yeah, no, yeah. definitely not. Yeah. yeah, true. 
All right, guys. And yeah, I, oh, I was just going to mention oh, yes, some, apps. some apps that yeah, helped me. Hostel World for booking hostels. I had no problems with that. Really good to see who's staying there, the ratings, the reviews, different costs for different things. So I found Hostel World really helpful. Mm-hmm. Get Your Guide was a great app to, it sort of just aggregated all of the local tour guys and guides and companies in one place. So you could easily book last minute tour to around Edinburgh Castle or a day trip to Pompeii on that. So app. it's like more the activities and that type of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Activities, booking.com. Yep. Everyone's probably very familiar with that, but um, I used that for some accommodation and that worked really well. Sample size of three. What do you guys mostly use when it comes to third-party websites? I mostly use Booking.com these days. I used to use Webjet for everything, but not anymore. Booking.com most of the time. I don't even like look at anything else anymore, really. Yeah, right. You can? Yeah, I've had uh, Booking.com. Yeah, this is not an endorsement. We're not paid to say this. It's just, (laughs) yeah, I've found this just... It just works. It's easy and they give you like... Rewards. Everything's just your yeah, rewards and everything's just listed really clearly. So you just know what you're getting. Yeah. And I wanted to book a specific place. So I was looking at places by via the map so I could see. Yeah. 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 Probably the big one that I use overseas is, um, what's the one where it does reviews? I'm trying to think. It just went blank. TripAdvisor. Oh, yeah. That's like my gospel overseas, to be honest. Yeah. It links you through to where you can book, but I just use it for reviews and Yeah, for I look research. at that if like I don't know the place that well and it gives you like 10 top things to do in well, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Even in summer, I wanted to go through Victoria, which is where we're recording this, and I wanted to be like the best, 10 best like parks to go and yeah. see in Victoria. And it had like 100 on there. And yeah, there like, you go. Well, there you go. This yep. was so good. So helpful. So okay. Oh, no. What about booking flights? Did you book direct or through a… So what I do, I go on um, Skyscanner and then it gives you all the different airlines and they compare prices. But then I won't book through Skyscanner. I'll book through the actual Airline, direct. the Okay. Like, is that cheaper or is it just like you get? It might not be cheaper and it might not be the exact same fare, but I just don't really trust that like third party website that much. For something as important as flights. Yeah. Yeah. Because if something, yeah. If something goes wrong overseas, you can go straight to the airline. Yeah. Yeah, I can contact the airlines. It's easier. And um, for example, my sister actually booked through a third party COVID time and they went under. She lost three thousand dollars, so that kind of scared yeah, me. Yeah, that would have scared everyone. So I don't yeah. really like to do it, especially like for flights and stuff. I'll go direct yeah. to the airlines. Yeah, fair enough. Cool. I you? go direct, so I just went straight to the Qantas website and the Air France website to book my flights. Yeah, cool. It was just simple, easy to use, and all my account details are in one spot. Did you, do you have a Qantas like uh, frequent freak, flyer? Yep. Yeah, cool. I've got a few points now after my trip. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> I think I can get a fry pan. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, maps is essential. There, what's that other? Do you guys know that other map? Someone's going to write into us. By the way, guys, if you're listening to this and you have better ideas than us, please let us know because we're going to go on holidays soon. So please let us know what site app. If you have, like we were saying before, if you have a, a spreadsheet that you've created for like a holiday planner, please send it to us because we'll share it with the community and then everyone can benefit from your hard work. Thank you very much. But send it to us. Isn't there another maps? It's not Google Maps, but there's another one which is like really, it's like used by like hikers and people overseas. Have you guys seen it? I don't know what it's called. I'm going to have to put it in the show notes, but there's this great one you can use, particularly if you're traveling Asia and it's got like different walking like areas and like trips that you can do within the maps. It's really cool. And yeah, it's all offline, but you download it. Yeah. So oh, anyway. You'll have to find that. We'll mention it in Money and Chill if you remember. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Last one. Rome to Rio. Oh. Yeah, I used that for my first trip, but then when I was planning to go like a million places and then I really simplified it, this for the one I actually went on, 
But Rome to Rio, you can plug in a heap of different locations and it will give you the best route between all of the places you told it you want to go and your options. If you want to take a train or a bus or a plane or a boat, it will tell you the different options you've got and then you can go and book those. Cool. I like it. If you've got a lot of locations you want to go to, it can be a handy way to plan your trip. Cool. Nice, nice, nice. All right. So we've got three trips. I'm going to Port Douglas. Well, I just went, but um, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Monique's going to take us to Japan. And Kate, you're going back to Europe, if I'm not mistaken. London. Two weeks in London. What does it look like? How do you do it? What what can you expect? Yeah. So a bit of how we would think about how we budget for the trip, some of the research we'd look at, any sort of key pointers there. Yeah. Cool. Who wants to go first? I think you should go, but we'll keep it to a few minutes each, I reckon. A few minutes each. Okay. So you guys ask me questions or I just give you an overview. Sell the area. What does travel look like? How do you get to Port Douglas? We have to fly there. Port Douglas is an hour north of Cairns, which is like the furthest you can fly on a, like most big airlines. So in Australia, we've got three major airlines, obviously Qantas, Jetstar, and Virgin. I tend to fly Virgin because I do it for work. So we get those beautiful points. That said, like if I'm on holiday, it doesn't matter. The only reason we fly Virgin for work is because it's semi-reliable. We can't really fly Virgin for work, uh, Jetstar for work because it Sometimes it's a little bit patchy. Anyway, the best way to get to Port Douglas on a flight is to go, if you're using any of these websites, Virgin or Jetstar, is to go to specials.virginaustralia.com. Uh, and this is where they've got early bird sales. So you can, for example, I'm just going to do it live right now. There's almost always sales. So Adelaide to Cairns, 199 bucks. Brisbane to Cairns, 120 Yeah, and it goes on. And you can do it from Melbourne. And this is just like, if you're going to book a few months ahead, book on the specials page. For Jetstar, for those of you that aren't on the mailing list, definitely go to their Friday Frenzies, if you guys know what that is. They send it, it's like on a Friday, like boom, here's $39 flights to this place. And you're like, okay, wow, cool. It's so good. How um, can you fly for $39? It's crazy because they've got like, it might be like that weekend or that month or whatever where there's like no one in the plane. So they're like, get on the flight. So <laughs> that's a good way to do it. For those of you that aren't from tropical Queensland or don't know that's part of Australia very well, there is a high season, like a peak season and a low season, uh, like AKA uh, like a summertime, our equivalent summertime from Victoria. <laughs> but there's a wet season, which is coincides with the South summer. So like in the beginning of the year, it's wet season up North. It's pretty dead in the tourist areas like Port Douglas. Yeah. Weather's a good thing to look up when the best times to travel or you could go slightly before or after because you might not be want to be in super long queues yep. in the location you go to. I would say that tropical North Queensland is one of those few places in the world where sweat is not frowned upon. <laughs> like it is so hot up there in wet season. You're just like, whatever. Everyone's sweating, even at the, like the top of the Michelin hat restaurants, right? So, so it just is what it is. Now, I paid a bit more with mine because I included baggage. But if you're with Virgin or any of those, look for the points that you can harvest before you go. So that would be like, it's free to get one of those. I think it's free to get frequent flyer. It's free to get the Virgin one. With 7-Eleven, you get points. With BP, you get points for Qantas. So get one. Get those bonuses rolling and you might better use some points to pay for your trip. Accommodation. I would say that Airbnb is the best value for money. However, if you're on holiday, you're not going to get some of the things. Like I wanted to, a tennis court, a nice pool. Got to go to a resort for that. Well, yeah. So you can probably get something nice in Port Douglas for a thousand bucks for three to five nights. 
the equivalent in a hotel would be anything from 800, which is the lower end. Of course, there's backpackers and all that, up to 2,500. If I was traveling with people though, I would definitely pull our money together and I would use one of the websites. The, the website for Port Douglas is um, portdouglas.com, I believe it is. And this is a website where it's got like all of the nice houses. So these are like beautiful houses in Port Douglas or around the area. Like grab a group of five and split. Yeah, split. Some of them are like Balinese villas type thing, like with multiple levels, multiple pools type thing. So it's worth it. Or you could just use booking.com and get those rewards points. Uh, that's what I would say. Finally, in most parts of Australia where it's like resort style living, the resorts are actually managed, unless they're like a big name. The resorts are managed by people who buy into the body corporate. So what that means is like a lot of these coastal towns have like, you know, 10 person resort, like like a 10 room resort type thing and like self-contained units. They're yeah. actually owned by someone. Like the Acor Vacation Club. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And there's a manager of that. And if you call them, they're just like a family business. Just call them and say, hey, is there any discounts going at the moment? See what they say. You might get some money off. Didn't get insurance. Wish I did in some ways because our fishing charter was $1,700 a day. We paid for private charters amongst three of us and the weather basically cancelled the fishing. On one of the days? Yeah. They were a great small business and they said, listen guys, we feel really bad about this. We'll give you a full credit for that day. Just come back any time in the year and we'll do it for you no matter what. Then you've got to get all the way back up there again. But that's a good excuse. I was thinking about this. I was like, (laughs) I mean, it sucks, right? But they were like normally, that's why it said like 10 times on their website, highly recommended that you get travel insurance. Highly recommend, like in 10 different spots. And I was like, meh. Um, And they're like, even if you have a credit card, you would have got, there it is, the the, the insurance. Anyway. Would it just have been the person booking and paying? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because if you're splitting it with mates. Yeah. Yeah. It was all me, mate. So, so. Bank of all right. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's what I would probably do. Activities, you can go on the reef. And that's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks to go out on the reef. Our kids might be a little bit cheaper. If you're going to go with one of the, the biggest name in Port Douglas for the reef tours is Quicksilver. They have a boat the size of a small ship, but you're going to be going with like 500 other people. If that's what your jam is, you want a big boat that's stable. Otherwise, just go for a small boat. It's about the same price, maybe a little bit more. You can. I went on one. There's a thing called the inner, the low aisles up there, which is like, inner islands you can see them from the shore they're like uh, two kilometers out so the reef isn't nearly as nice but it's not as far to go if you don't like boats like i don't really love boats but you can do like a catamaran sail out there and you can get like prawns cocktails and all included in your package so that's like 300 bucks for like six hours it's a big catamaran if you've got a barbecue on there oh no they're just like the sh- <laughs> it's like a full thing like you feel like you're in florida and um anyway like there's so much to do i won't be able to go on forever but fishing I would go with a small charter simply because I'm very passionate about the sustainability of our reef. And I think the big charters, they're great, but I just think they're designed to catch people fish and a bucket load of fish. And I'm not interested in that whatsoever. So you guys are putting the fish back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, all the sharks were taking it from our hands. So I would say go out there. My favorite one, Matt from Out and About Fishing in Port Douglas. Small boats, heaps of fun, really on a budget. So awesome stuff <laughs> food food is normal just like you get here in melbourne you probably transport's worth mentioning because you were renting oh, yeah. a car yeah yeah so because it's an hour north you can get transfers from the airport through your hotel and that's like i think it starts like 80 bucks a person typically to get to port douglas and it's a beautiful drive or you can hire a car having been there many times in my life i would recommend apex car rentals they're not at the ho- at the airport but they'll give you a shuttle and it's really not as bad as it seems 
but we got five days of brand new small Suzuki for 230 bucks. We got it 20% off because it's not peak season. And that's super cheap. Like when you think about that, 230 bucks, five days. Yeah. And then because a lot of the stuff around cans, you can drive to. It's like maybe one hour, two hours. And you were splitting it between multiple people. Yeah. So it's bugger all. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. And finally, I just say in terms of spending money, assuming that you've budgeted out your like activities, book the big ones in advance. But assuming that you've you've done that and use TripAdvisor for the recs. But um, I would just say it's just like Melbourne. So, or like Sydney or Brisbane or Perth. It's like 60 to 100 bucks a day on food, coffee, just basic stuff. So Yeah. And or you could do big a grocery shop if you're going with friends and yeah. share all, all the costs there and do different meals each night. So the one we went to was a service department. So you have like the, the kitchen, you have all that. We only took over the five days that we were full-time fishing, we only took one fish home, which was a coral trout. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's like the best fish in the ocean. And we cooked it in our apartment. And it was absolutely, it fed three of us. It was amazing. Saved us probably hundred bucks just eating out, 150 bucks. Yeah. So yeah. And that's always an interesting consideration when you're traveling. If you're planning to stay in one location for a while, do you get a an apartment that has cooking utensils and things so you can cook most of your meals? Or you're going on the kind of holiday where you don't want to eat out? Like if you're moving to different places every day, you can't really do. No, you can't do that. But there are like public barbecues and yeah. all that stuff up there. Go and use them because they're, like, they're cleaned every day. They're fine. And it's a good way to catch up if you've got a few friends up there. Final thing, if you go on the reef, can you just make sure you use the right sunscreen? Um because there's a certain sunscreen that's really bad for the, the reef. So just ask them if there is a certain one that you should be using because it actually contributes to that bleaching and stuff. Yeah. So um, get the good stuff. Pay up. That's it. I reckon you can do five days in Port Douglas in low season, like with a few of you, four grand. That would be like four or five grand probably for like two people. If you're going with friends, you're going to get like scale. As long as you're not doing the expensive private fishing charter yeah well that's it and that's with me that was with me i think i spent four and a half grand but that was with like big fishing tours in there so it's really not that bad and there's heaps of stuff you can do like you can go to the rainforest you can go to shows like kansas heaps to do there's like ancient buildings and stuff that they were like not ancient like but they were like designed there's a place called paranella park which is about about two hours from cairns and it was this guy who moved over to Australia, for, I think it was from Spain, and he created this park that looks like a, like castles, multiple castles. That's so cool. And he built it on the side of a waterfall. Oh, and you can go there and tour it. But, then, but about, I think it was about 50 years ago, the river flooded oh. and washed away half the bloody thing. Oh, no. So now it looks like an ancient castle. Oh, my God. Destroyed. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's only 50 years old, but looks a thousand years old. Yeah, it looks old. <laughs> you feel like you just went to Rome, did you? But it feels <laughs> like it's like a tropical thing. And That's it's amazing. Like yeah, you should Google it. Paranella Park. Yeah. Go check it out, peeps. Yeah, it's real good. So there's heaps of stuff to do as the real as the Croc Park, which is eye-opening. Crocs. Crocs. All right. Who's up next, Monique? Yeah, I'll go next. So I am uh, going to Japan in May, guys. Putting my leave in now. Are you really? Are you legit not going really, to Japan? Not legit. Not legit. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I told Monique to pick Japan, so we had three different locations. Okay. <laughs> so I would, I've never been to Asia before, so this was a nice little uh, research activity for me. Like, I've got no idea. So, yeah, if anyone else has any Asia ideas. Japan is beautiful. Well, we yeah. might. Have you convinced yourself to go to Japan off all this research? Well, not quite. I think I need to do a little bit more research. <laughs> I think my head's still in the Europe phase. Okay. So, yeah, that, that's my head right now. But anyway, Japan. Yes. I'm going to Tokyo for two weeks in May. And I chose May because it's cherry blossom time. Oh, and yeah. 
that would be like really nice to see all the cherry blossoms, mm-hmm. pink photo photo opportunities. Yes, that's important. Matching outfits. Oh, matching outfits. You know, I love a matching outfit. Um, <laughs> yes. So how much is a, a cherry blossom flight setting you back? Yeah, so I did. A, I went on a Skyscanner so I could compare a few things. The best flight that was like direct um, was through um, Qantas and it was about $1,500 return. Mm-hmm. And then Skyscanner also told me the cheapest flight with one stopover would be $1,012. So, yeah, that was like a little bit longer. So that's adding an extra five hours to your journey? Extra five hours, yeah. So I'd probably just go for the best option and spend that little bit more money because that's too much time. Stopover would be through Scoot. Is that who was it with? Yeah, so it was like a Jetstar slash Scoot. So you'd stop in Singapore most likely. Stopover in, I don't think I wrote that down. I think it would be, isn't that where Scoot's from? Yeah. 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 So maybe it was Singapore. You're right. Which would be cool because isn't that the butterfly situation? The butterfly thing and the theme park Yeah, exactly. You've got the butterfly enclosure in Singapore Airport. There's like a whole massive like theme park situation. Cherry blossoms. Yeah. This is like a magical trip. It is. This is so much better than Port Douglas. <laughs> I didn't see any of that at Singapore Airport because my stopover was about half an hour. So oh, no. straight oh, yeah, to the next yeah. flight. I had 10 hours in Singapore Airport, so that's a different story. Wow. Well, Monique. All right. Where are you going to stay, Monique? How much is that going to cost? Okay. So Tokyo accommodation, I looked in at Airbnb. So this is like 14 nights. Airbnb, like the best kind of, it wasn't. It wouldn't be the top of the range, but Airbnb. Yeah, it's kind of mid-range. So it was $106 per night. And then I also went on booking.com and just to compare like a full hotel that had breakfast included and all that kind of thing. Very good breakfast. And that was $197 (laughs) per night. $197. Yeah. So So it's actually not that much more in the scheme of things if you get like breakfast included and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, Was that for a double bed? One double bed, yeah. So this is all just like if I was going by myself and if you're going with your partner, you can split it between two. Yeah. yeah. And you chose Shinjuku as the place where you got this Airbnb because Monique sent us some of her notes in advance. Yes. FYI. Yes. Uh, Shinjuku is like one of the best places. Like yes. Doing things in the city of Tokyo. Yeah. Love it. That's love what it. Google told me. So I was like, yeah, yeah that seems like the best place to stay. <laughs> Shinjuku is where they've got the Golden Gay. I don't know if you yeah. know what that is now, but um, that's where there's like – what do you say, bajillion? Before? Yep, yep. There's like a bajillion restaurants within the space of like two acres. Like they're like six-person restaurants yeah. and they're incredible. Yeah, that's Whoa. cool. The cleaning fee for Airbnb is only $8.80 Australian. Oh, bargain. That seems strange. Because <laughs> I've seen a lot of crazy Airbnb cleaning fees. Yeah, yeah. They're like 100 or yeah, yeah. 300, yeah. Oh, hopefully it's clean when you get there. Hopefully. <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll tell you. So then I looked at insurance after I looked at accommodation. My go-to insurance people is one cover. I just don't even look at anything else anymore. That's yeah. Okay. So that was about 130 bucks. Yeah. So that was for 14 days, 14 nights. Pretty sure like that included like COVID stuff as well, which. Just check that guys. Yeah. yeah. Always read the PDS, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Um, it's important. And yep. then I went to activities and um, Kate mentioned that there's Disneyland in Tokyo. To Disneyland, Tokyo. And I'm like, well, there's I have a train to go that goes there. there. Yeah, yeah, you've actually been, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Is it yeah. worth it? Like it was just insane yeah. like, how busy the place was. Honestly, like some of them, you have to take tickets. You don't line up, you just take tickets. Ah. At least that's what, what it was when I was there. Yep. And it was like two and a half hours to get on like one ride. And I'm like, holy moly. Popcorn's great though. I love popcorn. Yeah. We ended up just riding on the road. What's that, Roadrunner? You know, like the little oh, kids yeah. one. Yep. 
because <laughs> we didn't want to stand around for two That's hours. That's amazing. So you have to get there early. Yeah. That'd be my that'd be my tip. Oh my god. Yeah, get there, get there early. I'm so glad they have the road run one because I've been to the one in um, Orlando. Went to like Disney oh, World yeah. and did all those, and it sounds like it's pretty similar. How yeah. have you great. both been to Disney and I haven't? Yeah, no, no, you're like the Disney guru. You need I did to get the a whole flight. Uh, Take this itinerary and go. The only reason I went to Florida was to do the Disney Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you didn't go for all the silver surfers and... I have no idea what Florida actually looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Just fly straight into Disney. Yeah, literally. Okay. okay, so other than... Yeah, so Disneyland, I looked at like how much tickets were and it was about like 90-ish dollars, like for a full day pass. Mm-hmm. That's Australian dollars. And then I looked at some other attractions and there's like all these temples that are like $10 entry type things. I think you had a photo of the Emperor's Palace there. Which is like a, um, it's on the uh, Airbnb actually. Oh, yeah. That's right in the downtown of Tokyo. It's like a gigantic go. like palace. It's a big I feel like you should have t- spoken about this because you've actually been. No, no, no. I'm just sorry. Add <laughs> some context. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go. No. <laughs> yeah, I saw like heaps of parks for like the cherry blossoms that you can just roam around as well. There's that, the busiest street crossing in the world in Tokyo as well that everyone seems to take photos of that looked cool. And there was like this my random research there was like some animation studio can't remember where it was there's so much anime over there honestly yeah it looked really cool oh, I think it was called the Ghibli Museum so that looked really cool and it's all like animation and stuff all the Japanese animation it was really really cool anyway so I might go there if I go to Japan and then with food um, I love ramen so I looked at the best ramen which Oh, yeah. Apparently, Google says... You can just spend two weeks eating ramen. Oh, I love ramen. And the sushi, obviously. Oh, yeah. Best sushi, best ramen. So I actually looked up, like, I Googled the best ramen, and it's called Nakiru. Nakiru. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Michelin star. It's got a Michelin star. And then the best sushi was down, um, like, a narrow alley in the Ginza district. Okay. So uh, if you ever go to Japan, check out those things. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. So good. Did you have a special? Uh, I, I can't even remember the name, but it's near Shinjuku of this place. Yeah. And it's so busy. It's basically only walk-ins. And you get to sit at the bar as they're chopping up all the sushi oh, and putting it all. They use everything, though. They make use of everything. Yeah. So I remember I had a prawn head appetizer. It was just like prawn heads in a cup. Oh, my God. And you just munch on that thing. It was so good. So uh, good. So good. Amazing. So then after the food, I looked at transport and it seemed pretty simple. So you can get a one-day pass for a limited use of the Tokyo Metro Metro, and it's about seven Australian dollars. So that seemed pretty easy. Yeah. Was it easy? It's like a hundred times better than we've got here in Australia. Amazing. I'm surprised I don't do this other place of the world. When you go to like, you know, one of those signs that's like, where am I? And you want to go here? Yeah. There's actually coloured lines on the floor and you just follow the line oh, to get that. to where you need to go. Oh, my God. And yes. it'll just take you to the thing to get on the train so to go good. to where you need to go. It's so easy. I'm the worst at directions, so that'd be so handy. And you buy all your tickets at the airport if you want. Amazing. Yeah. That's so good. And then I also Googled, I literally Googled, how much money do I need if I'm in Japan or Tokyo for two weeks? And it said $3,000 is enough. So hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I'll, okay. I'll trust that. Um, so then, yeah, I kind of, added all that together and put some extra money in there. And I reckon mm-hmm. two weeks I could do Tokyo for like $8,000. Well, there you go. There you go. Yes. And that's with like not really knowing anything about Japan. So 
I think there's more research to be done. Oh, yeah. There's uh, so much to do in uh, Tokyo, but also outside the major cities. If you go, you can catch uh, the train, the super train, like the bullet train to Nangano, yeah. which is where then you access like the, the mountains or nice. the snowboarding, skiing, Hakuba and all those places. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Absolutely oh, unreal. Now you've convinced me out of my uh, Europe mind. Maybe Japan is <sighs> the next one. Get out of here. <laughs> Nick, if you like listening to podcasts, there's a whole niche of travel podcasts. Oh, so you can love oh, I do love travel a podcast. Experts uh, going to all these places and telling you all the best places to go to. I'd listened to a few before on the, on the flight to Rome. Well, here we go. This is the main course, Kate. <laughs> so I've served up some scraps. Monique comes through with her sushi. And now it's your turn to give us the, the main meal. This is the one everyone wants to know about. <laughs> Where are we going? How much are we paying? Tell us about it. All right. So I've talked about London a little bit on our last Money and Chill, so I'm going to keep mine short because we have spoken for a while today. But if we're going to London for two weeks, I'm thinking, depending if you stay in a hostel or a basic hotel, I think you could pay anywhere from 6000 to $10,000 for a two-week trip. Wow. Because the flights are expensive. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you meant six to ten thousand just for the hotel. It's like, wow, whoa. <laughs> no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So six to ten thousand for two. I weeks. like the Savoy basic room, a thousand Australian a night. Holy moly. That's not what I'm saying in this trip. <laughs> <laughs> I looked that up. I was like, maybe that can go on the vision board for one day when I'm in my fifties. So flights, I looked up what at the moment if you want to go middle of this year, it's about $2,500. I paid $3,000 mm-hmm. for my flight over Christmas. That was also like over Christmas. So I feel yeah. like things are just generally more expensive over Christmas yeah. as well. Especially Qantas was like hiking up. I feel like hiking up the prices Yeah, back into 2020. Yeah, yeah 100%. So, but it still didn't look, they weren't coming down that much. But yeah. if you look at another airline that's not Qantas, you might be able to get under $2,500. But that's why I think if you go to Europe, you really want to go for at least two weeks to make it worth it for the yeah. flights. I don't even say longer, as long as you can go, yeah. basically. And yeah. if you can offset, if you're going to Europe, if you can offset London with some more affordable cities, even Rome's a lot cheaper, even Scotland was a lot cheaper, just to, to offset that because London was quite expensive. When I was having a look at booking.com, basic hotels were sort of three to $4,000 for 14 nights. But if you stay at a one of the better rated youth hostels in a small room en suite. I was in a female only room. I was paying on average 66 a night, which for 14 nights is just under $1,000. If you stay in a bigger room with like 16 people, you probably can bring that quite quite far down. So yeah. you could be $1,000 for youth hostel or maybe three to $4,000 for a basic hotel. The Savoy, you might be 14 grand. Insurance was around $100. That's nothing. For two weeks. And that was... Not the the lowest price one. Yeah. Activities, there's lots to do in London. There's a lot of free places you can go to. I met people at the hostel which would who were just going to free things like the park, the British Museum, the National Gallery and weren't paying anything. But there are a lot of great shows and activities, sports matches. So for 10 days, if you want to go to a lot of paid activities, you want to go to the Tower of London, you want to go to a musical, you want to go to a sports game, could be a $1,000 for activities. What would a typical show cost? I was probably paying 50 to 100 Australian. Is there any way that you, now you've done so many of them, is there any way to save on that? Well, I that's think, quite cheap. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Like yeah. a really good musical. Because you did them like you booked it the day before type thing. So then it was cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think if you actually 
do the shows more in advance, it's more expensive. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, right. But so were, if you're like, you could be like one of those scalping type sites, like where you get like the, do you get the tickets or something cheaper? Well, you could get the best price just going directly to the theatres. Yeah, because I think like they just give you, especially if you're going by yourself and there's like those one seats alone, uh, yeah. they yeah. tend to put them as at a cheaper price because you can't sit next to your mate if you have a mate. Yeah. And then there's like the restricted views as well. Yeah. yeah. That's also cheaper. Cool, like, even if you did have a mate, you're not going like, to talk to each other during the musical. So oh, yeah, exactly. sit apart, yeah. You shouldn't talk to each other not during the musical. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in London respects theatre etiquette. It Amazing. Okay. Uh, there was no talking during me. the performance. <laughs> no, I think you would struggle watching Wicked for two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Um, but Wicked was amazing. It's coming to Melbourne this year, so Ooh. I recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, activities, depending on what's important to you when you go. You could mm-hmm. just walk everywhere. There were some people that were just walking everywhere. Food, $700 to $1,000. But if you were doing something like getting a an Airbnb where you had a kitchen, maybe you could lower that price down a bit. But, I mean, to have a good time, like it was expensive. Mm. And especially drinks. Yeah. <laughs> like 20 or 30 Australian per drink. Whoa. Like a cocktail or something. Oh, okay. But I didn't didn't drink much. Yeah. doesn't drink. The gin would be amazing in London. <laughs> gin was good, yeah. Transport, I'm, I was saying around $500 because I'm factoring in transport to Melbourne Airport oh, yeah. as well. Like if your flight's really early, it might not be a sky bus situation. You might need to get an Uber. So yeah. just think, thinking about that. And it was fairly easy to use the tube and just tap on and tap off. You don't really want to try and get a taxi around the central London. It was pretty congested. And spending money, I've put down $1,000, but that's really up to you and depends if you're planning to buy souvenirs, if you're planning mm. to shop or you're just planning to experience things. And it also depends your activities, right? If you're already budgeting money for activities separately, this is really just like food and drink and getting around. So, yeah, I really think it for two weeks could range anywhere from 6000 to $10,000. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> that's sounds, not bad, actually. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. But typically this would only be part of a bigger trip like you've had or like, yeah. you might go to like Italy or something like that. Yeah. yeah, this is great. Okay, so just to recap, we've got London for up to ten grand. we have got $8,000 to go to Tokyo and go to a uh, crossing. Yeah, and see some cherry blossoms going, May. And then for Port Douglas is probably, yeah, I was, you know, factoring in some fishing, but probably four to $5,000. You could probably, like, you do $5,000 for two quite easily. That's a lot of fun. I like planning and budgeting for holidays because it's like experiences. Yeah, something to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. But even like at the start of last year, I did a, a week-long hiking trip in Tasmania and that was, I think I did the whole thing, including flights and meals for under $2,000. So beautiful. Holidays, mm, depending on what oh. you want to do, doesn't have to be that expensive. Totally. If you're just going for some with some friends and hanging out at the beach for a week, that could yeah, not cost nothing. you much at all. Yeah. So in upon reflection here, guys, if you are listening to this, you don't need a credit card. You don't need a personal loan to go and do this. Please avoid the marketing. Remember that there are many ways to save, but probably the key to all of this is actually planning. Yes. Start soon. Identify where you can save money. Jump into those groups, listen to one of those podcasts. Find the money in your budget or find some extra work so you can work towards that holiday mm-hmm. in 12 months. Put that money in a separate bank account. Automate it where you can. Try and if you're thinking about it in advance, get things when they're on sale. Book it in advance. Make sure you've got redundancies when you do go on your trip because yes. you don't want to end up without a phone uh, stuck in London without payments. 
Yes. Yeah. The financial redundancies and having at least the numbers for your bank accounts and your insurance. I think that's super important. That was a big lesson I'd learned. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have turned a great trip into a not so great trip, but <laughs> luckily I averted that. Yeah. And if you see Kate walking around with an iPad, it's okay. She's fine. She's just getting around. Yeah. (laughs) That was the one thing. I couldn't take good photos because the iPad took really bad photos. I got an older one. Yeah, old one. And uh, I used to sort of just have a little giggle when someone take a photo with an iPad. And now I was the person (laughs) taking a photo of the iPad and I uh, was... Definitely laughing like a, at myself. Like a grandma oh just walking around with yeah. it. Yeah. Just oh like, how God. do I take it? And when I was in group tours, people were like, why have you got an iPad? Oh and when God. I was checking into theatres with QR codes, because QR codes are everywhere to yeah. check in, everything. And oh they're like, I've never seen a QR code that big. That's hilarious. Can you make it smaller? No, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it came big. But honestly, spending on experiences is a huge plus from us. So go and do it. Find room in your budget. And make it happen. Like go and plan and actually do it. You can do it. It's like an, it's not a guilty pleasure because there are no such things. Go and do it. Um, it's worth it. There's some great places here in Australia. Get creative. Let us know if you do have any tips for us. Please write into us. Please send us a message wherever you get your social media because we would love to share what you have with the community. Yeah, we'll be back with more episodes like this one and we may even feature some of your recommendations on an upcoming Money and Chill episode. Yes, Monique, Mini Pizza, thanks for joining us. Anytime. And Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. 
Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.